What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Life Uncaged podcast. I'm your host, Emma Zia, and I'm sitting here today with the incredible John Yo. So welcome to the show. Hi, Emma. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm super excited about today's chat. So uh, we met, I think it was back in February. I think maybe that was the first catch up. Yeah. And we just had like such an interesting conversation and we just went into so many different spaces and places about influence and leadership and AI and and, and all of these things. So I'm super excited to, to see where today's conversation goes. For those of you listening, I'll give the uh, the professional bio for John. So John works with leaders and change makers to understand incremental influence. While leading TEDx Melbourne, he saw the YouTube data for what causes someone to pause, rewind, or abandon a TED talk. He combined this data to better understand how to design for empathy, engagement, and simplify complexity. John has been the licensee for TEDx Melbourne since 2009 and is a past national president for Professional Speakers Australia. This is incredible. (laughs) So I'm excited to kick off this show by asking you why... Or like, where does your passion for understanding influence come from? Uh, well, if I'm completely honest, because I wasn't very good at it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the basis of it. I actually began it in the IT world and I'm naturally a shy introvert. And I was trying to convince the CEO that, you know, the Millennium Bug Y2K was mm-hmm. actually a thing. Okay. Now, of course, as a newly minted graduate, he probably wouldn't really give me a meeting, but I had the opportunities he walked past my desk on the way to his office. Mm. So I got really good at these short sound bites at a level he could understand that got his attention. Mm. And then as the bio says, as I sort of evolved this craft a little bit, it's kind of like, well, how can we be a bit more precise around this? Uh, in fact, one of the things that was quite key to that was I ended up working in London with traders machines and I had to convince them that I was going to take their machine anywhere between half an hour and half a day. The problem being that for every 15 minutes that trader didn't have their machine, they were personally losing a million pounds sterling. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, you had to be really good at negotiation and, and influence. And so it was born out of necessity in, in, in a large sense. Mm. And then when Professional Speakers Australia sort of started asking me about how TED is influencing speaking and because of the way I deconstructed it, they encouraged me to, to start sharing this with the world at, at large. I just thought it's just what everyone did, but apparently not. Wow, that's so interesting. So would you say that you're still quite a shy introvert? Is that like your nature or do yeah. you feel like your yeah. nature has changed slightly? Yeah. Wow. So what would you say to anyone that's almost feeling the same kind of energy of like feeling a bit shy to speak up, speak in front of meeting rooms, boardrooms, you know, bring uh, important topics up with a partner or with teams or something like that. What could you maybe suggest to them to focus on so that they can start to feel a bit more convicted and confident in speaking? Sure. I mean, broadly speaking, practice more and be more prepared than you think you need to be. Mm. And having those in place gives you a a degree of confidence Mm. and you can go from there. I'm a big fan of structured thinking as well. I don't know if you want to go into detail yet, but I'm a big fan of structured thinking because if you can help people understand the essence or or elements of what you're talking about, then they can sort of grasp not only how you think, but how that applies universally. Uh, I might give you an example now because it's I, I think it's helpful. You know, I could say, you know, um, think of a car. You know, some people might think of a Ferrari. Some might think of a Toyota. 
or anything in between. Mm -hmm. But if you took the essence of car, it's effectively only brakes, accelerator, four wheels, and a steering wheel. You, you take away any one of those elements, the car no longer works. Mm. And so if you can understand the essence of that, then you can make a car, you can make a Ferrari, you can make a Toyota, you can do anything you like, you can go anywhere you like, because you can talk about the, the principles of the idea. And it's about helping people understand the principles of your thinking, not the detail of your thinking or the genius of your thinking. Mm. It's that you're actually being methodical in the way you apply yourself. And I think that can also give you a lot of confidence, a lot of structure, and you can always bank on first principles. Yeah, like... I'd love you to elaborate on principles a little bit. So when you say like, you know, people need to really connect with and understand your principles, why is that? And what exactly is principles? Well, that someone can know something or they can be engaged with something. You know, I often say, you know, everyone knows you should eat well, do lots of exercise. Almost no one does it. Mm -hmm. You know, just because someone knows something doesn't mean they'll do something. And I think there's a lot of confusion in communication that it's just information transfer. And reality is if you want to do information transfer, put it on a website, put it in an email. In my world, speaking, it's an opportunity to build rapport, relationship, trust, credibility, authority, all the things that are sort of more inherently human and connected. And from there, you can build relationships and relationships take you an awful long way. Yeah. So it's, it's about understanding the, the nature of that communication and the significance of how that builds that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hear you. And I think as well, I'm very similar to you. Like I love, I love communication. I love words. I have like an obsession with words and the way that I can piece words together and articulate things. Like it's like, yeah. I feel like speaking for me is poetry. And I really love to just like play around with how I articulate certain things. Yeah. And I've almost, because I come from a family of, of energy healers. And I've always thought ever since I was very young that, you know, I come from a family that used their hands to heal people and, and to, you know, bring about change and transformation. And I've always thought with me, it's my words. It's through my, my speaking and my writing, which really carries that transformational energy. Um, and this is what's really interesting, very similar to you, is when I was younger, I was actually at school, I felt like I was a mute I felt like I actually couldn't speak. And there was such um, such a debilitating fear of saying the wrong thing or saying something stupid and being judged for it. So I just decided I just won't speak at all. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because all of the like inner work I've done and transformation work and, and even just putting myself in situations that felt very uncomfortable. So one of the ways that I did it, similar to what you were speaking, was I actually started working uh, as talent in the media in London. So I just started booking myself into music videos and acting jobs. And I was like, I'm just going to get in front of the camera that's going to be blasted like nationally or internationally, because what an incredible way to feel comfortable speaking by just throwing myself in, in that type of environment. But something really interesting happened is I didn't notice a change. So I noticed a change in the way that I would uh, outwardly present myself, but the debilitating fear was still there, especially outside of the camera. You know, when I was in close conversation with friends or, you know, whatever, like I would feel that fear coming up again. And it was when I was actually at uni, I, I was doing an assignment on social media and the impact that that has on your self-worth. This was when social media had just come out. And that's when I realized it was a self-esteem thing. 
So I started to like go through my own therapy process accidentally just through reading books on self-esteem. And I was like, wow, I'm just so not confident in who I am that I actually use um, the avoidance of my communication to push people away so that they can't see me, they can't hear me, they can't get close to me if I shut them off, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so going through that journey, and, and now, you know, I, I do speaking and podcasts and things like this, and it's actually part of my superpower. And I think that's the thing with words and communication is, it really is the bridge between the external world and the internal world. And it oh. really does like invite people into experiencing who you are. And I think, one thing that I always say to clients is, you know, your words are incredibly powerful, like speaking them out loud. It's a vibration you're putting out to the universe. It's, it's an influence, I think. And, and, you know, touching on influence, I think people don't realize that we are all incredibly influential, yeah. right? Like we're influential in the micro conversations that we have, the macro conversations that we have. And I think, you know, influence has so many different levels and we'll, we'll segue into that. But I think it's really important to know that like words and communication is even just the self-talk because that's where it starts, <laughs> yeah. right? It's the self-talk of like, how am I communicating internally and, and, and inside my mind and inside my nervous system? And like, let me check that first because that's going to be impacting how I feel, my health, my energy, my vitality. And then let me translate that outwardly and, and see how my words can really change uh, you know, uh, just so much about the way that I connect and, and influence. So I think that's really interesting. I think it's interesting that when we write words, we call it spelling. Because mm. when you spell words, yes, it it's is. kind of yeah. like an incantation. It creates the magic that, you know, the connection yes. that you can't do through any other way. Yes. Yes. And and it's so true. And, and this is very, you know, in the spiritual space and personal development space, this is spoken about a lot. People say your words are spells. And I've never really connected with that word specifically, but I absolutely agree with you. The essence of it is completely true. And I was even saying to someone the other day, you know, like even like the things that you mutter under your breath, like when, when you know, you stub your toe or when something frustrates you and it's like the language you use, where are you maybe uh, giving away your power by using language, which is maybe lower consciousness, just because you've been conditioned to use it that way. But actually there's another option which keeps you a bit more intact in your power in those moments where you feel like you've lost your power, you know? Yeah. Yep. So that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So let's segue into influence a little bit more. Sure. What would you say, so you use analytics uh, to kind of understand uh, and increase influence. So what would you say influence is to you, if you could kind of concise that? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> I think it's the ability to shift someone's mentality from where they are to where they really want to be. Mm. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And so, you know, it, it's more than knowledge, it, it's more than will, and it's more than coercion. Although those things kind of are, are, are near cousins. Yeah. It's almost like I can see like coercion as an example being like a shadow aspect of influence, you know, because yeah. influence is power essentially. Like if you can, if you can inspire someone to move from A to B, that's power. And it's kind of like, how do you choose to utilize that by coercion or by inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. So what would you say makes someone influential? I think, 
uh, it's a combination of things. It's the clear thinking that I mentioned earlier. Mm. It's the mentality they, they have in terms of what's their intent. And it's the presence they carry within them. Mm. So things like self-awareness, self-acceptance, self-esteem are incredible precursors to having that presence. Mm. And I think it's something you can cultivate. Some people have it naturally. Uh, I'm not one of those people, but some people do have it naturally. And so it's like if you understood those aspects of self-awareness and and and, 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 you know, and consciousness, you can find a way to navigate that and to cultivate that to a point where it almost precedes you mm. in terms of either your reputation from an intellectual level or just physically. Some people just have that physical presence about them. Mm. Some people call that charisma, I guess. But, you know, it's about knowing who you are, what you believe, what you stand for, what you represent, and then backing yourself in that. Mm. Yeah, and you just touched on such a good point because I feel like conviction is incredibly powerful with influence. Like we want to follow the person that is the most certain, <laughs> right? It's like if if things were to just completely, you know, fall apart and collapse, we'd be looking for the person that's like, I know the way or I know how we can navigate this together. Or, you know, there's something about certainty and conviction that is just naturally very magnetizing. Um, and exactly as you touched on, that's where I think people can trip themselves up with influence is because I agree with you. It absolutely can be learned and it absolutely can be inherent. And I think where it trips people up is where they're still moving from that place of like really low self-worth or low self-esteem, but they're almost overcompensating by learning the tactics of influence. But the energy and the presence is still felt in that low self-esteem because your energy speaks louder than words more often than not, right? And people feel your energy when you walk into the room. So I think like for someone to be able to dive into both those arenas of like learning how to be more influential through your words, your presence, your posture and things like that. And also to dive into the inner space. I think that is where like the two worlds merge and, and, and that's like incredible influence. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's, a, it's an integrity between, you know, I guess your mind, your body, your spirit, your sensibilities. Mm, mm, absolutely. And you posted something on LinkedIn and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, I think you were doing like a, an interview or a talk on influence. And do you remember which one it was? Because I posted on it. I remember what I said, but I can't remember what your. I've done a few lately around that. So the, there's, a, there's, there's So one of the things I've been studying lately is around how technology has impacted our ability to influence, whether that's through Zoom or through you know, artificial intelligence and, and, and using technology in that sense. So it was probably something in and around that that it, it was most likely. But I, I'm not sure because I've done quite a few lately. <laughs> yeah, some yeah. more softer and some of them a bit more hard edge, like technology based. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this one specifically was actually uh, not so much technology based because I remember my response was talking about the inherent influence and then the learn influence. And oh, yes. it was like it was people's ability to listen to leadership, something like that, uh, as it pertains to influence. And I remember being like, it's interesting because through my observation, I feel like people hmm I'm just trying to tune into this because this actually I'm just like do I still like sit with this but yeah. I think 
I said something along the lines of like people that are, you know, have inherent leadership, I feel there is more of an instant trust with people that want to kind of follow them or listen to them or be guided by them. And I think people that almost learn uh, influential skills, people that are in leadership positions, like executives, entrepreneurs, business owners, things like that, you kind of notice that there's not so much like a natural magnetization or natural following, but the job still gets done. It's just kind of in a slightly different way, slightly different texture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it does speak towards leadership versus management in in many respects. Mm. And, and you, you, the, the, we need more managers than leaders, but leaders classically are a little bit unique and a little bit distinctive in some way, shape or form mm. beyond their capability. Mm. And uh, I do remember us having that conversation and I cannot for the life of me remember. It was at least six or seven weeks ago, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, that conversation has happened. So a lot's happened since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you a question with the managers and leaders. Do you think, because uh, one thing that I've really come to realize, and, and this might be seen as um, controversial or, or whatever, but I'm very controversial by nature, but like is people finding uh, their natural positionality and how that really amplifies their own inner strengths. So like when when managers are trying to be leaders and when leaders are trying to be managers, there's this suppression that happens. And it's like, sometimes I find that people at the management level are trying to be like the leaders, but it's actually taking them away from their power as a manager and then vice versa the other way around. Is that something you've also noticed or? I think it depends how much they know and accept themselves. Mm. Because if you know and accept yourself, you've got a platform, a strong platform to build all the other skills, capability, capabilities and knowledge. But if you don't know yourself, you're kind of building your ideas kind of on loose ground mm. and it may or may not hold. And I think that's potentially where both managers and leaders can come undone. Mm. And so this is why it's so important to understand you know, yourself, what you believe, what you stand for, what you represent, what your values are, mm. where you're going and how you're going to get there. Mm. And I'm not talking about in minute detail, but certainly not sort of just sort of vague generalities. Um, you know, I think you've got a better chance of success if you have those core elements in place. It doesn't mean you can't get there, but it certainly makes it a little bit less predictable and probably a lot more hard work. Mm, I completely agree with you. And I was even going for a walk last night and contemplating on this, that when you like allow the vision to be awakened within you, everything will transpire in favor of that. Like if it's, if it's a vision that is in alignment with the truth of who you are, and it's not just coming from ego of, I need to get this, or I need to achieve this so that I'm validated or I'm seen as, you know, X, Y, Z. But when it's like a true vision that's on your heart and that's your compass, I feel like that is your North Star and everything else will, will you know, uh, transpire to be in favor of that. So, you know, relationships will shift. People will let go. You'll get new opportunities come through. Like you might have the intuitive nudge to uh, change careers or to move locations. Like it all happens as a natural process of just holding that vision. And I think this is why it's so important to constantly remind us of, you know, it's the what, but not necessarily the how. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm, because the how reveals itself. That's what I believe to be true. 
And that's a journey, right? Some people get there really quickly. Some people, you could argue, never get there. Mm. But I think that's one of the fundamental purposes of our existence to discover who we are, what we're about and where we want to be or where we're going. Mm. So what would you say, like for people that maybe feel a bit lost with that, people that are like, I don't even know quite what I stand for. So I struggle to communicate that and stand convicted in that because I don't really know what it is that's that thing that I can stand for. What would you say for people that are in that place? I think no matter what, keep moving forward Mm -hmm. because you'll discover as you move forward whether A, you're going the right direction and B, whether it's something that's acceptable to you. And you can't do that by staying in your comfort zone. Mm. You can't do it by staying where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, change doesn't come from being static. Change comes from moving. And, you know, so keep moving. Mm. I completely agree with you there because I was even saying this to someone last night. I'd say, like, looking back at my the history of my career, one of the things that I would definitely do differently, uh, because now I do it differently, but if I could rewind, rewind the clock was not letting doubt or fear take me out of the game, right? Like I would be, the way that I explain it to, to clients is like the compound effect, you know, it's like baking a cake and you kind of, you know that you want to create this, this vanilla sponge. So you put all the ingredients together. You're like, okay, I'm just going to put this all together because I know that this is the blueprint of what creates that. And I'm going to put it in the oven and the, and the heat is going to cook it, but it takes time. And then every time you have that self-doubt and you open the oven door and you're like, is it ready yet? Is it ready yet? All the heat comes out and it slows down the process. It stops the cooking process. And I think that's something that's been really big in my life is I've just like tapped out when I actually needed to just continue tapping in and just leaning more into the discomfort and the thresholds and the growing pains and all of the things and just really trust that process and stay in the heat. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's like a contradiction in a way, because I think sometimes people just don't stop moving, but in like the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then they're just like, why am I not happy? Why am I not here yet? Why have I not done this? Why have I not done this? And it's like, for them, I would advise to actually like know that it's okay to pause for a minute, take a breath, recenter. you know, like a lion yeah. before a lion leaps for its prey. It just takes a step back and it realigns before it, I think that there's a time and a place for that. And then I also think on the other side for people that pause a lot, they overthink, they procrastinate my advice to them, which was me, would be to just like stay in the heat, keep moving in that direction and just trust the unfolding. Yeah, I but I think I'm going to guess it was about maybe 20 years ago where I said I would never make a decision that was rooted in fear. Mm. How's uh, that? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not successful, but, you know, I made more progress, you know, immediately doing that than all my other years combined. Mm. And so it's proportional, right? So, you know, back then the changes were massive. Mm. Now it, they're not as massive because I've, I've, again, I've got that momentum, but I'm going the direction I know I need to be going. Yeah, that's it. And it's going to feel like the the leaps are bigger to begin with because you're closing a bigger gap, <laughs> you know, from where you are now to where you want to be. It's like that it feels like a bigger gap there's more kind of resistance in between you. But once you close that big gap, it just starts to get smaller and smaller because you're in that, you're now in that field, you're in that space, you're doing the thing. So there's momentum there. 
that's pretty cool. Yeah. Sorry, you actually wrote something on uh, LinkedIn that I want to share because I just loved it. And it really ties into this conversation. You said, be bold, make history. Know that when you had a chance to make a difference, you did. I'd love you just to elaborate a little bit more on that because I think that's just such a powerful statement. Yeah, it's actually rooted in that very thing about the fear, right? So that that particular post is about the Yes campaign. There's a lot of people going, there's a lot to know. We don't understand everything. You know, we need more information. They're all the fear-based things. Mm. they're all things like I don't want to move forward because I don't know and I'm not saying you should be ignorant and and gung-ho but there is nothing out there to stopping and actually doing the research yourself there's Mm. nothing out there to stop you from not knowing just because you don't know doesn't mean you have to stay there and so (laughs) I'm like yes you just put that on the head (laughs) I spent years understanding, you know, th- this the the nature of of this, uh, you know, particular issue, and discovered a whole bunch of things. You know, a lot of people using this yes campaign campaign specifically. You know, a lot of people are, oh, there's nothing under that. There's no detail. People are confusing constitution with law. Mm-hmm. Constitution is a framework. Law is how it's done. We're asking for a constitutional change, not a law change. Mm. So in the constitution, it says we need to have a high court and we need to have seven judges. It doesn't say anything else. That's it. And the high court works plenty fine. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You know, all the laws underneath that, how it operates, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's all determined in law. Mm. People are worried about what's going to happen in law. That's not the purpose of the yes campaign. The purpose of the yes campaign is go, should we actually have a framework? And just to clarify, the Yes campaign, can you just like just explain that for the listeners? Sure, of course. Yeah, there's some international people here you might be listening as well. (laughs) Australia is about to have a constitutional change about whether we recognise Indigenous voice. Mm. Uh, Because over the last 20 or so years, there's been about four or five quote-unquote peak bodies that represent Indigenous communities. But the problem is it's always been at the whim of the current Prime Minister. So... What's classically happened is one prime minister would uh, um, bring it into power and literally the next prime minister would shut it down. It's been tick-tocking backwards and forwards for at least the 60s, uh, 70s. And so the only way to stop that happen is to have a strategic, long-term, ratified framework. And the only way to do that is to put it in the constitution. And so it's about what do we have a long-term view of and how are we going to resolve this particular issue? Now, the the people who don't like that say, well, why only Indigenous people? And I can understand that perspective, but at the same time, England has only been here for 200 years. The Indigenous people have been here for 60,000. They could make the same argument. We've been here for 60,000 years. Why in 200 years is suddenly you you are the people deciding, making all the decisions? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think people aren't thinking broadly enough, conceptually enough, yeah. big enough mm. about the nature of the way things are and the way that and, and the repercussions it has. Mm. Almost all the laws are designed for the people in power. 
And so, you know, this is one of those ways to potentially address one of those core elements. And I don't want to go into that detail now because that's not the purpose of this podcast, but I, you know, I'm more than happy to have that conversation. Mm. But I think if you, if you if you sort of think through the logic of it, then you have to be more thoughtful and consideration considered around the context, the nature, the history, and the meaning of what does it mean to be a young nation that wants to own its future. Mm. And given that Australia is the only country, Commonwealth country, that doesn't have a treaty with its First Nations people, maybe it's time to sit up and just be honest as a nation and grow up a little bit. Mm, mm. And I, I think you just, I want to kind of circle back to a couple of things I think was so important that you touched on, kind of expanding it from, from the Yes campaign into the broader the broader view is that I do think people are very short-term focused as in like even tying it into influence people don't realize that the decisions that we make and the behaviors that we engage in and what we normalize now is going to impact the generations below us and I think it it almost ties into a bit of uh, self-centeredness or selfishness in a way of just you know people are just focusing on their lives and you know the short time that we have here what can I create for my life what can I do for my life and it's like you've come here as part of a collective consciousness you've come here as part of humanity what you say what you do what you engage in what you normalize is going to impact the people that come you know underneath you and so it's thinking more from like a legacy perspective of what decisions do I want to make now that maybe I won't even see the consequences of it in my lifetime you know but I'm going to stand for this now because I stand for humanity I don't just stand for my individual existence I can be individual and I can also be part of the collective so I think that's something that's really interesting and and even things like you know uh things that you see on social media and and what people normalize there and it's like make sure that you think bigger and broader and you anchor your decisions into the bigger context of how is this going to impact humanity as a whole, not just my life, not just my immediate family, but also humanity. Because when you live like that, I feel like we're living together, you know, like we're actually all here, like creating an impact together. Yeah. Short termism is exactly why we have corporate greed. It's exactly why we have, you know, an an environment that's collapsing in on itself because we've done that for too long. And I, I think we need to, to have, there needs to be some fundamental shifts about how we manage those things. Mm. And I think the shifts really start through the conversations and, and just kind of opening people up. Like you said, context, this is something that I speak about all the time is I feel like people focus too much on the content of something rather than the context that it's anchored in. And when yep. you're able to see it from both of those angles, you actually have a more comprehensive and well-informed view of something rather than just seeing it as the content. Um, and this is something I speak about often is like, even in my work, I might say something to one person, like I did it just before with the with the leadership. And I was like, I'm uh, sorry, with the um, like creating like the compound effect. I might say something to one person because the context that they're in, it makes sense for me to give that advice or guidance. But for the same person doing the same thing in a different context, the guidance would be completely different. And I think we're so quick to put meanings and certainty to things that we can just jump onto, oh, well, they're doing that or they're saying that. So this means X, Y, Z about that person. 
And it's like, well, widen the context a little bit. Where are they coming from? What is like the bigger impact of what they're saying or doing? If that was in a different context, how would it land differently? Just to kind of really broaden perspective. So I think that's really interesting. And then another thing that we actually started talking about just a minute ago was, um, what was it? <laughs> it was something you said. Oh, it was about um, like being okay, not knowing, as in like, there's nothing that, you said something like uh, the the essence of it was like you can learn about it like you can and and I was like wow like this is something I've been reflecting on so much is um, you know you're always going to be a beginner to something and the the and I would say this is something that's tripped me up quite a lot because I'm someone where I like to know things <laughs> I'm very analytical and logical by nature and I'm sure you're pretty similar mm-hmm. and it's like it's just humbling yourself and knowing that you get to be a beginner and there's excitement and curiosity in that. So if I'm about to start a new project or a new venture, I might be really well informed and, and, you know, know a lot in one area. And then I jump into another area and I'm a complete beginner and there's a lot of ignorance there. But the thing is, is I get to learn, I get to discover, I get to build my way up that ladder without making it mean anything about me, without going into story of, well, I can't do this because I don't know about it. Or this is obviously out of my depth because X, Y, Z, you know, all these stories that we make as humans. And it's like, let's just remember that that life is a game and we get to play with it. So if we're feeling inspired to move into a new area, new project, new career, new venture, whatever it is, Let's start from that beginner level with curiosity and playfulness and and ignorance can be a very powerful thing because there's less resistance holding you back. You're like, let me just give this a red hot crack, see what happens, let me get it. And then once you're in it, you can learn, you can discover. And um, this is something, you know, when I study people that are very successful in business, you know, more often than not, they started having no clue anything about business because, you can learn knowledge to a certain extent, but it's when you're in the arena, that's when you really learn. That's when you really experience. That's when you really get that, you know, that that training, that university degree, but not necessarily, you know, learning it through uni. So yep. I think that that's just a really good reminder for, for everyone that's very ambitious, like you and I, that that the beginner is is good because we get to learn whatever we actually want to pursue. It's it's the very thing that defines the human species over any other species. You know, other species can't adapt what they eat, where they live, the terrain that they live in. Mm. You know, humanity is bound to adapt and respond to all sorts of environments and all sorts of scenarios and all sorts of you know, uh, weathers and terrains. And it's our ability to learn that's been our differentiating factor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's an inherent natural thing for us, but for some reason we choose to not or stop or slow that and uh that's when we start to calcify and get all crusty yeah yeah. (laughs) that word and I think I think really that comes down to conditioning like we've been so conditioned to um it's kind of like we associate knowing or you know uh being at a certain level with with power and influence bringing it back to influence again and it's like we we weren't really conditioned as a society to, you know, even like if you look at the school system, like, you know, we would learn things and then we'd be tested on it. And then we'd, 
it's very much like you've got to learn and then you can you can do it but it so I, I feel like there's this big gap between like no it's okay to begin and just learn as you go and you really can learn something that's completely like opposite from where you are right now if there's a passion behind it and there's fuel behind you wanting to discover that thing go out there and learn it and it's I saw uh, one of my friends the other day posted on LinkedIn saying embarrassment is the entry of success the entry price of success nice yeah and what she was essentially alluding to was that when you're starting out you're gonna be exploring you're gonna be experimenting you're gonna fail you're gonna do all of those things so embarrassment is almost the entry price but once you're through that threshold it's a different game right and then you get to do it again in a different arena and it's just about bringing a lot of light-heartedness to that totally totally Mm. Mm, I love that so let's touch on AI and the advancement of technology because before we jumped on this call I said that I feel like you and I share this commonality between you know as the uh, you know AI and automation technologies advance how is that going to impact the way that we connect communicate feel empathy uh, and influence with each other because I feel like you know with artificial intelligence on the rise it's an opportunity for us to capitalize on true what truly makes us human which is emotions and energetic intelligence and communication intelligence and all of these things that maybe we haven't put an emphasis on because we've been focused on learning the skills and when those skills are going to be able to be replaced by you know robots and automated technologies it's like, wow, we actually get to explore depths within ourselves that we really haven't had maybe the chance to. So I'd love for you to just uh, maybe share what you can see shifting in workplaces with this kind of advancement in technologies and how that relates to connection and communication, and maybe also what you predict for the immediate the immediate future with that as well. All right. Oh, gosh. Whenever I think predict, it does make me nervous because I don't think anyone who's even remotely aware of what the technologies can do can predict it but i'll make a sort of generalization rather than a prediction maybe <laughs> um, the difference between ai and previous technologies is pretty much any other previous technology um didn't allow what wasn't sorry couldn't do intelligent consideration and action so you know you can automate for instance um you know your social media by telling it when to post and, but you still had to enter the data and you had to still tell it when to do it. Mm-hmm. Artificial intelligence and just kind of keeping in with that analogy can work out not only the best time to do it, but who to post it to, how mm-hmm. to language it so that person understands it and do it completely autonomously using source material that you might've given it or it might've found from somewhere else. And that's a big difference. That's a massive amplifier. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to communication and influence, we're suddenly getting not only leverage and scale, but intelligence and timing as part of the communication, because communication is not just saying clever things. It's the ability to say the right thing at the right time to the right person, the right way. And AI allows us to have a more greater precision around that. Mm. And so when it comes to communication and influence, it's really around, well, how do we use utilize tools as, as a leverage point for communication influence, as opposed to a mechanic, which is just getting something, helping you to get something out the door. So that's kind of the nature of communication influence. The problem is that AI is taught on what's already out there, which means 
if you think about the law of averages, the quality of the content is so broad and so sometimes wacky. And the AI is forced to treat that as intelligent and correct because it doesn't, it can't make that judgment. And so therefore it just amplifies more of the average or more of the wacky or more of the mix of both. None of which any of those things have full util, you know, utility at, at its highest form. This is the difference between a great writer and thinker and a bot that can generate a whole bunch of words. And so, you know, th that will always be the distinguishing factor in the near future, simply because the amount of high quality content versus the amount of average quality content is disproportionate. Mm. And so we now have a whole bunch of people dependent on average driving more average and amplifying the average. And so if you're going to be intelligent about how you use AI to influence you can't just let the bots do what it likes. There needs to be thoughtful consideration about what it produces, intelligent application about how you might go about it, and obviously responsibility to to what it ultimately to to publish what you ultimately publish. And so I think influence and alongside AI still will require the human for a good amount of time. Mm. And I, I'm I'm not even sure it will completely replace the, the you know the, that that true intelligence. Um, can it predict mass scale better than humans? Yes. Can it give you first drafts better than humans? Almost always. Has it replaced most early job roles or capabilities and tasks? Yes, up to probably about first or second year capability. But what I've noticed is once you get First, past first or seven second year intelligence or capability, AI can't compete yet. Mm. And so I did an event recently where it's designed by AI, developed by AI, written by AI, marketed by AI, um, and ultimately delivered by AI. And it wasn't terribly impressive for all the reasons I just said. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean it won't get there, but I just don't see it happening sort of in the near term having said that there's a guy called bray kurzweil who i think is like 78 percent accurate to the year that his predictions come true and he's actually saying between 2027 and 2029 mm. so i might be completely wrong and that's my exact point is that most people uh won't won't know or won't be able to know so if that's the case then it behooves us to have mastery now than to try and catch the wave when it's already passed over ahead. Mm. And so, you know, that's that's kind of my attitude towards AI. We've got to embrace it. We've got to hold it. We've got to hold accountability towards it. But at, you absolutely can't ignore it. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. I think it's so interesting, like when you were touching on, um, you know, the the way that AI can obviously tap into so much information, like beyond, you know, what one person could kind of generate. It's almost like things like, you know, chat GBT, it increases efficiency, but it also takes away originality, you know? And, and this is something like with all of these uh, platforms, like one thing that I'm curious to see is, especially in the younger generations who are using 
these technologies like they're going to start using it in schools and stuff like there must be rules and regulations coming out for sure but it's kind of like is it actually going to take away from our creativity or is it going to amplify it because of the point that you said of like kind of the lack of originality when it comes to ideas and stuff in writing because it can just tap into what's already there and it's like oh is that actually gonna inspire us more to to find the creative angle to innovate on our own thinking to create something which is original in a world where there is so much uh you know standard it's, it's kind of very similar um yeah. So I think that's interesting. I think it'll do both. I think it will kill originality and force greater creativity. Mm. So it'll move the window sideways opposed to move humanity up. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is the thing as well is that with, you know, we go through these stages of evolution as, as you know, humanity and even though it seems at the moment, because there's so many articles and like media out there saying how AI is going to take over jobs, it's going to replace this, it's going to replace that. It's almost like a bit more in that kind of fear frequency at the moment of people being like, oh, I don't know if my job's going to survive. But where, whenever something is replaced, there's opportunity for newness as well. So it's kind of like this allows us to get creative and be like, okay, what new roles are going to become available in workplaces? What new systems can we create? How can we change our skill sets so that we are the masters behind the AI software that increases uh, people's impact and things like this? So I think it's just understanding that we are so new in this space to a certain extent. And yes, certain things are going to be replaced, but it also opens up so many new opportunities. And that's where we need to put our focus is on where are the spaces and places that are opening up and how can we really understand that and jump on that? So as you said, we kind of like ride the wave of it rather than just get overtaken by it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, AI is probably a fundamental shift in technologies we know. And that's that's the that's the thing we need to know. And uh, to your point, is the most exciting. The, the new, brand new things are going to come from this. Mm, mm, amazing, amazing. So I want to ask you as well, uh, we touched on this before we jumped on the call, but with like, how would you um, say that someone can focus on amplifying their influence and gaining attention for their message in such a distracted world? <laughs> yeah, uh, and and this is this is this is the current paradigm with social media. The signal to noise ratio is appalling. Mm. Like ninety nine percent of the stuff that comes out is completely useless and completely pointless often egocentric, arguably made because it quote unquote gets eyeballs and, and makes sales, but at what cost? Mm. And I think the cost at the moment is, well, the biggest cost I think is, is mental health, especially in young people. Mm. What they're expecting, what they're expected to be, what they should be doing is so driven by this mass media that I, I really worry for hum humanity from that point of view. Um, I mean, we've got, you know, in Australia, we, we, we've got, we've got literary works with F words on the cover. I mean, you know, we've, we've got to really sort of, um, what's the word? Um, not pop culture. What's uh, sort of tabloid type headlines on 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 literary works that will will be around when we're all gone mm. and that that worries me a little bit mm. um 
I think the mentality around that is lost. And we're so fixated coming back to, you know, getting out content rather than creating meaning or connection. Mm, and I think when it comes to communication and influence, it's really about that meaning, resonance and connection. And I don't care whether it's written or verbal. We need to hold true to that. That's the bit that makes us not only human, but but brings us together. Mm. Everything else is either fear-driven, you'll miss out if, you know, by now, if, you know. And unfortunately, that is also a very strong driver in the human psyche. Mm. But until we become self-aware and are able to shield ourselves from the signal to noise, we'll always suffer as a species. Mm-hmm. You're and... speaking my language now. <laughs> Awareness. <laughs> yeah. I could speak. Sorry, carry on. Uh, well, I mean, it's not much more complicated than that. But, I mean, I think we have a responsibility as leaders and parents, if if, if we're those, to to guide people through this transition because I, I still see it as a transition. It's just a consciousness one. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And self-awareness is something I speak into often because I honestly believe that self-awareness is the number one skill that helps you navigate every area of your life with more ease. And when I say ease, it doesn't necessarily mean that things are just going to become so easy and effortless all of a sudden, but it allows you to have discernment over things so that you're not necessarily feeding into psychological patterns that maybe keep you in limitation, like on social media, for example, comparison, you know, Uh, I hear people say, you know, I'm looking at these people and then like, I'm wondering why I'm not where I should be. And, you know, I start to feel down in myself. And so I'm just going to come off social media and I'm like, don't remove the, the, the trigger, keep the trigger there, like keep your social media but change how you respond to it. And that comes down to self-awareness. Get curious around why am I triggered by this person? Why am I feeling jealous? Why am I feeling behind? And all this pressure about I should be somewhere else than where I am right now. That's what you need to look at, not the not necessarily the trigger itself. And I think um, we are definitely going through, you know, an evolution in consciousness. And so people are going to buy very differently. And that kind of urgency marketing, I, I believe will you know, die off at some point and then it will come back again because it's kind of like the way I see it is where the masses go, then the the minority, sorry, (laughs) set a phone call, Uh, like where the masses go, then the minority starts to stand out because that's like the rarity, that's the opportunity. So that becomes appealing. And then when that becomes majority, then there's a new minority that comes up. So I feel like um, authenticity at the moment is almost the minority in terms of like getting away from that, uh, you know, typical ways of, of communicating certain things like those tabloid headlines and people are actually like, but I see this everywhere. Like I want that connection. I want to be, you know, I want to feel you through your content, through your words. Um, and we'll kind of see how that progresses, I suppose. Mm. I mean, you know, we, we get a choice of two paths. We can buy into that or, or we can m- move around it. And I, I think, you know, Self-awareness is, uh, to your point, is is the key to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I actually am really excited uh, to see how companies 
how workplaces, businesses start to implement more like self-awareness training, because we've obviously seen with everything that's transpired globally in the last like three to four years, we've seen the emphasis on mental and emotional health change in workplaces. Um, and this is something I'm really working towards is really bringing this into workplaces of doing self-awareness training, because it's really self-awareness is the centerpiece of emotional intelligence. So when you can really master that skill of self-awareness, the way that your team interacts with one another, the way that your relational awareness and social awareness improves, the way that your productivity, your flow, everything, like I've really uh, studied it and I just see it as, as self-awareness is such a catalyst for um, growth and connection uh, and productivity in, in all areas. So I'm super excited to see how this is going to be more celebrated because yeah. I feel like up until a few years ago, people didn't put an emphasis on that emotional intelligence piece. And now I think it's absolutely a requirement. It's not even a luxury anymore. It's a requirement. Yeah. I, I think the world is definitely more open to that. What people are going to discover is how they're raw when they get there. And that's the bit that's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and yeah, completely. And I, I think as well, like kind of tying it into this uh, unpredictability of, of, you know, technology and where the world is going with that. Um, when there is, because I feel like we're living in one of the most controversial times that, you know, our generations have experienced with so many different controversial views and, and opportunities and just te technology and so many things going on, I think um, really kind of like shifting the focus from circumstantial awareness to self-awareness will allow you to navigate and discern a lot more easily within the noise of like, where do I sit with this, da, da, da. And that will also really help you to, to navigate as things come up internally, because it is going to come up as you kind of detach from circumstances and really look at yourself more. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. John, this has been absolutely fantastic. I've really enjoyed chatting to you as always. So tell the community, where can they connect with you? Where can they reach out to you? Um, yeah, and, and where do you hang out? Well, the only place they can connect with me, because I'm only on LinkedIn, is okay. LinkedIn. But <laughs> one thing I probably will sort of uh, request if you do connect there is that you put a little one-liner and said, I, you know, I heard you on Emma's podcast, because I get a lot of people, I get dozens and dozens, maybe even more but a day of people just sort of wanting to connect and then the moment you connect they try and sell you something and so as a rule I just don't connect with people mm. but there has to be a reason a purposeful connection to why you wanted to connect and it might be as simple as you know heard the podcast I don't mind but at least put something you know I think if if, if people are not willing to put the effort into the human connection then they don't deserve to be a connection and I don't want I don't find it fruitful to have just a lot of hangers on I completely agree with you because I've recently got back onto LinkedIn after being I was used to be very active on it like every single day and then I came off for a couple of years and I've just kind of got back into it and sometimes when people go straight in with a sales message I'm so confused I'm like I would never think in my right mind to reach out to someone I've never spoken to before and just start selling them something like I need to know, like when it comes to buying, I, I will buy when I know that something is right for me. I need a little bit of like information or conversation or connection, but to just go straight into it, I'm like, people are very uh, abrupt on LinkedIn. 
in yeah. that way. So I understand you're wanting to put these, these barriers up so that you don't have that leaky energy coming in all the time. The other part is when I read the updates of the people I'm connected with, I want connect. You know, I want to be updated with the people I have genuine connections with. Mm. I don't. I don't need more advertising in my LinkedIn feed. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah. And so you know, it, it, I have to take responsibility for that. Mm, mm, mm. I hear you completely, and I think that's what's interesting about LinkedIn is it's like I feel like it used to be, or with me anyway, I would just accept everyone. Because I was like, it feels like it's still such a new platform in a lot of ways, as in like, it's not new, but it's still, um, it's not as oversaturated as say like Instagram or Facebook or something like that. Um, but then getting all these sales messages, I'm like, mm, I'm exactly the same as you, that, that there's a barrier to entry now. Mm. And <laughs> because, a lot of people you know, say, oh, you might miss, miss, miss out on a great connection or whatever. That's a fear-based decision again. And I, as I said earlier, I'm just not going to make decisions based on fear. It's just... just mm. I haven't got time for that. Yes. I love that. I love that. That's such a good way to wrap up as well. I love that. Do not make decisions from fear. Amazing. So if anyone does want to reach out to John, uh, make sure you put like a little message in LinkedIn. It's just John Yo, And I will put all of your information, your LinkedIn profile down below so people can connect. Um, thank you so much, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. And well, we will speak to you soon. Good to see you again. Chat soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>